Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching by Rabbi Cantor Hilary Chorney. This is a little bit of light learning. You know that I sometimes bring a little bit of heavier learning on the Parsha. Um, This was a step back a little bit later this week. Um, in enormous font, the way that it was printed here. So the people who have printed their own at home may have a slightly, uh, I don't know if this would be easier or harder for you at home. I wanted to talk about um, two different relatively unrelated issues with Noah and the Ark. And one of them is something that I began thinking about last year and the experience of Noah and what it was like being in the ark and going into the ark and trusting going into the ark with the oncoming approaching flood. And the other issue related arguably, but maybe arguably unrelated is the issue of the passage of time and the experience of the passage of time for Noah and the others who were on the ark, the other human beings who were on the ark. So, there's a piece that I just read from the sixth chapter they just chanted that talks about God's establishment of a covenant with Noah in the context of a verse oh, in the context of a verse that has to do with God's encouraging Noah giving him instructions to enter the ark. Now, God has to tell Noah both to get on the ark and to get off the ark. Last year, when we were very first coming out of uh, quarantine summer, the very first time that anybody was coming out of a lockdown from Los Angeles, we talked a little bit during Parshat Noah about the experience in 2020, if you can believe this. A year ago, we were six months into the experience of COVID, and we were talking about the other end of this deal and how God had to tell Noah, no, really, 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 it's okay to get off the ark, I promise. It's time to get off now. That study we can come back to another time. But of course, it would seem obvious that God had to tell Noah, okay, the flood is coming. It's time to get on. The context in which God tells Noah he's got to get on, though, is cause for a lot of commentators commentating, commenting on why that might be connected to the notion of covenant. So the verse goes like this. Vani, hinani me vi et God says, I'm bringing the flood. My malha aretz lishachet kol basar. Water's going to come and it's going to strike down all, all the living things, okay? Asher bo ruachayim. All the stuff that has the spirit of life in it. Mitachar hashamayim, under the heavens. Kol asher ba aretz Remember, we just had creation. We just did that this morning. Now next week he's up and, and destroying it. And then this verse, which you have on your source sheets as well. 
but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall, what? Uvata el hateva ata. Uvanecha veishtecha unshevanecha itach. By the way, if we were doing this in a study with that other verse that I just mentioned, uh, we would talk about the, one of my favorite words, tikbolet, the parallelism in the authorship, because the instruction also goes in this order, in the instruction to leave the ark, and the commentators also have a lot to say about Noah being instructed to leave the ark, and then his kids, his wife and his kids being instructed to leave separately. Like why are they, why list them all out? The Torah doesn't waste a single word. And here also they're asked to enter, each of them instructed to enter separately. But why I'll establish my covenant with you and you should enter the ark? Why hakimoti et briti? And a lot of you know that I get hooked on the vavs a lot in the text. Uvata el hateva. What could that u possibly mean in this verse? So you tell me, what could that u possibly mean in this verse? Unfortunately, I'm not going to be unmuting, I don't think, unless, oh, maybe Hector's hanging out there to unmute uh, Brant and Joanna and those folks as well. But at least let's start with the folks on the field and then I'll go to Zoom. Yes. What could it mean? It could change it to the opposite, right? It could be vava yipuch. It could switch uh, to the opposite tense, right? Uvata could be the opposite. It could be but it could be conditional that well and and well right a conditional that is right a conditional that is if um great that's great yeah conditional i like that um um good i think that vav packs a lot of context here i will establishment I will establish, I will establish va hakimoti. That, that vav in and of itself has a lot of power. And I will establish my covenant and you will go to the ark and then repeats you and your children. So let's look at a couple of com, of commentaries and what they have to say about why covenant is what's promised in this moment. Because we've seen covenant before, but that's only because we've read the Torah before, right? We've seen covenant before, but that's only because we've read the Torah before. Are there Jews yet? Nope. Have we met? Who have we met yet? We've met Adam and Chava. Those are the only people we've met, right? So far. Those are our only characters and their kids. Right. That's it. We've just met that that we're, we're only now meeting the next generation with with Noah. So, well, next generations. There's a lot of people are born, but we're only now meeting the next generation who aren't background characters. Okay, we're only meeting the next protagonist. Yeah. So this is the first time that we get a breed in Noah, but it is not the first mention of breed, and it's going to come up later in the packet. What a great planted question. Thank you for, thank you for bringing that up. It's going to be source like five. Very good. We're going to get there. Okay. So the Orachayim says the following. We're going to do this because we're doing this frontally instead of me reading at you. 
I'm going to do this in kind of like a, an interpretive summation of each of these verses. Also, because we don't have all that much time. Like the sun, sun's going down. We're going to hit Mariv. So the Orachayim says this. And you can read these for, uh, word for word as I go through. But instead, I'm going to give this to you because some of you are munching on bagels or I don't know, maybe Joanna has gummy bears at home, something like that, right? You just seem like a gummy bear kind of person. Um, so uh, you'll tell me later if I'm wrong. So I, the Orachayim says, well, Noah would have, of course, thought of the ark as a death trap, right? God says, the floodwaters are coming, and I am going to wipe everything that has a Ruach Chaim off the face of the earth. Kolbasar, every living flesh. Now go get on that boat. And Noah goes, what? I'm sorry, what? Excuse me. Right? Because what we don't have is a covenantal relationship really with with anyone in Noah's generation. We know that Noah is Sadiq Tamim Bedortav. We know that he is exceptionally righteous in his generation. But what we don't have is a relationship yet with him and God where there's any kind of a anything except for maybe an upheld promise that God won't kill him. That's all God and he have between them, which is what Orachayim comes to say. God has to remind Noah, of the promise that God has made that the ark isn't a death trap. Wouldn't you think it is? Getting on a boat to ride out onto the, to, to get on a boat as the floodwaters, remember, the, not to ride out onto floodwaters, to get onto an ark where the floodwaters are going to rain down and then rise around you, right? It's very fear inducing to say the extreme least. So, of course, he believes that it's a death trap, but this is his reassurance. The Hakimoti et Briti, he says, first, I will establish my covenant with you, and I'm establishing my pact with you. Go ahead, trust me, get on this ark. Maybe that was enough for him. And by the way, the Orachayim takes the time to say, and Rashi is very wrong, <laughs> because he sometimes takes the time to say that. He says, Rashi understands that God is remembering Noah's good deeds. That's not the Peshat. There is no such thing as a simple, plain meaning of the text, the Peshat. That's for a whole other conversation. But I like that the Orachayim takes the time to tell us Rashi's wrong. It has nothing to do with God saying, you've done wonderful good deeds in the past. It's just God saying, hey, Noah, I know this is really scary. I'm establishing my covenant with you. Go ahead, get on board. If you flip to the next page, you start to get to the Hebrew of the Ramban of Nachmanides and his commentary on this. Now, the Ramban pops over to Ibn Ezra. The Ramban brings us Ibn Ezra on this. And Ibn Ezra says that this is in and of itself a sign. This is an oat in and of, of itself that God had actually sworn to Noah that he and his children won't die during the flood, even though that doesn't seem to be a clear promise at first. It doesn't seem to be clearly promised that he isn't going to be per perishing in the flood, neither he nor his children. Now, this is by way of explanation of the thing that I said at first, right? Why list him? and his wife, and his children out, right? He says, 
Alateva. You're going to go to the ark and it's going to be you and it's going to be your partner and it's going to be your kids and you're going to be okay, right? This is his way of saying, you're all going to make it through this. Why does God not just say you're all going to make it through this? God has funny ways. I don't, that's what Ramban and, and uh, Ibn Ezra, I suppose, would say, right? And then he goes through this really long explanation, explication of Vahakimoti, meaning that I will fulfill an oath. Vahakimoti is something beyond, uh, beyond Breit. This is something that we say, does this sound familiar? I have two chazanim sitting across from me. Vahakimoti Briti is something that we chant during the Zichronot part of the Mahzor on both days of Rosh Hashanah. Vahakimoti Briti. It's a really meaningful pasuk, a really meaningful verse that we have in our literature. It's not just a verse about upholding a Brit and a promise of God, but the Vahakimoti itself is about a specific oath that's been sworn, and in this case it's an oath that's sworn under the circumstances between God and a particular character and his family. I am swearing you an oath. You and your children will not die in this flood. I have made you a promise. You can trust me. And again, I go back to this context of he's entering an ark. It's really scary. This is really scary. And he goes on for a longer explanation that we're not going to dive very deeply into, that we're going to roughly skip on the page 5 of 10, which is because, well, long source packet, um, all about breach, which you can read to on your own. And it's all about these different layers and levels of breach and establishing covenant. But I thought that it was... Uh, terrifically interesting, the Vahakimoti itself, Lahakim, is this idea of the, of the establishment and upholding all rolled into one. Not, it's that it's not just Berit itself, but that it's the establishment and upholding of an oath between God and other people. So, so far we have the explanations that it's to quell the fears in Noah's heart. And then that is not just to quell the fears, but to swear an oath and a promise that's going to be upheld between God and Noah, and not just between God and Noah, but between God and Noah and, and God and each of the members of Noah's family, that they are going to survive the flood itself. And then we get to the next piece and Bob's question. Ha'emek ha'davar which I was introduced to because I never studied the Nitziv before I, I got here and Rabbi Adam Klickfeld had me breaking my teeth every Wednesday for about four years. We were studying it, uh, Rabbi Ari Lucas and, and Rabbi Klickfeld and I were studying this together. <clears throat> this is one of the relatively shorter commentaries. This one is the explanation. Shebarach Hashem et Adam vechava. This refers specifically this verse this Vahakimoti Epriti, what does it refer to? You were prescient, or you read the packet very quickly. This refers to the blessing that Hashem gave to Adam the Chava, gave to the first human beings who made it through that generation in Eden. And the consequence here is Noah and his family will remain alive. What's the contrast? What's the blessing for Adam and Chava? And what's the contrast here? Think about this. What's the end of Adam and Chava's story in the Garden of Eden? They got kicked out. It's the 
sort of the promise of mortality. It's the promise of and the punishment of pain. It's the punishment for misdeed and going against direction. And here you have an Ish Sadiq Tamim Bedorotov, who some commentators, though Ibn Ezra and Orachayim, think Rashi is godly right, but Rashi would say being rewarded, right, for those, those righteous deeds, right? He's righteous. And so here it says there was a blessing that was promised in the Garden of Eden, and it's being fulfilled to a righteous person here. I love that so much. What a beautiful concept. Like it's going to come and it's going to be fulfilled, but it was waiting for the right person who was, who was like ready for it. This is begging a parable and a children's story for me, right? Like, you know, there was just this gift and this gift was waiting around and like, and it needed to be given but the gift couldn't be given until like the right person. This book has probably been written, but you know, and the gift like needed to be given to the right person. It was just like waiting for the right person. So it was like this Brit. It's as if Brit, which we know so differently. What do we think of Brit as? We think of it as covenant for people, right? Um, right. We think of it as when we bring a child into our family. We think of it as covenantally bringing them into the entire peoplehood. We think of Brit, we think of people who convert to Judaism as joining covenantally, as choosing to join covenantally an entire peoplehood. But here, Hakimoti et Briti is a swearing of an oath, a promise, and it's a cross-generational promise of a bracha, of a blessing that winds up getting fulfilled in reward of four righteous deeds. And Brit is its promise. Brit is closer to like a modern Hebrew uh, meaning of the word. It's a, it's a, it's a pact. And it's also it's also something quite personal for Noah in this particular time. So that could have been it, and that could have been the thing that this hinged on, but I wanted to add a little bit of a, a special addendum to this. I love this personal um, I love this personal reassurance. It doesn't this is not something that has like a, a um, I don't have a moral teaching to draw out of this to say to all of you and this, and therefore you can go home and make your week better from it. I just think it's a lovely evolution of Brit in our tradition. But there is another aspect of this, that related cousin of the peace, the way that time was suspended there for Noah, that I do think we can draw something from. So one of the things that I talked about this past Friday night on, was anybody here at Sorvev on Friday night? Not the same cross crowd? Maybe some people were online. Tybal was online and Joanna might have been online. So some of you might have heard him. The two of you were online, were, were here on the field. So I talked a little bit about Bex Rosenblatt's Torah on 
uh, on Isaiah, which was the Haftorah from this morning, and the idea of God's stretchiness in time, and this idea of suspending ourselves on Shabbat. So God's expansion, the ongoing nature of creativity and creation, and how God needs to do simsum each week, and so do we. We have to freeze ourselves in time every single week and believe that the world can go on without us. That's what we are all doing right now. We have to believe that we can seize our own creative selves the way that God did. We have to believe that we can make room for ongoing and evolving uh, creation of the world and also believe that we can freeze each week and let the world go on without us and the, the world will still rotate and it'll be okay and, and allow ourselves to be specs in it. And time has felt very, very strange over the past while during COVID. There is not a whole lot of halachic literature that speaks very clearly to the experience that all of us might be having to some degree or another, being quarantined over and over again, feeling like the months have passed very quickly and also very slowly, not understanding uh, the way that sleep sometimes overcomes us and sometimes sleep won't come at all. We have insomnia that we don't understand. Like it's as if like time is happening to us in different ways because um, when our environments around us, when our environs don't shift, when they don't change, when we're stuck and locked inside, when Zoom is the same, right? When the meetings literally don't shift and the space doesn't shift, it's hard for us to track time in that way. Now imagine being inside the ark. Imagine being in the middle of a sea with no land markers, with no sun and no stars because the clouds are above and raining down from the heavens and there's pouring rain. And what good would a calendar do you, right? You're scratching perhaps, not notches on the wall, and that's all you got. What would time possibly have been? So I brought this beautiful responsum from a contemporary halachic voice whom I love very much and I sometimes turn to on bizarre topics like, what do astronauts do when they go to space about a halachic conception of time? That's about as close as I can get to understanding what it might be like to be locked up inside the ark. And by the way, that's the reference that he uses too. He comes back to this Parsha too. And he says that we should understand, and some of you may have heard this before in terms of the understanding of the acts of creation, that when we don't see the sun set, it's as if a 24-hour period didn't happen to us. Time can be suspended. It's as if time is not happening in a normative sense. One must act when one is an astronaut, or, by the way, when one is in a place where the sun like does not hardly set or set at all. One must fix their halachic times by 
the nearest location they can lock themselves adjacent to. That's what this responsum gets to. But the relevant idea is that they're in the arc just as up in space and just as I think a lot of people have experienced during this utterly bizarre time in our lives, it is possible to think of time as being suspended, particularly Shabbat time, as being a suspended time, even on Earth, even when it's not actually up in space. And that a day isn't exactly a day. And he says, when normal time patterns based upon alternating periods of light and darkness marked by sunrise and sunset resumed, time continued as if it had not been interrupted. Right? Then all of a sudden, part of what brought him peace again was time continuing and coming back to normal again. We don't know how much we need the basic functions of normalcy until we are missing them. We don't know how much we are thrown off by jet lag until we have the experience of being thrown wildly off on our basic functions. We don't know until we have an inner ear infection how much we can be thrown off by being dizzied just by standing up. We have basic, basic functions that we go through the world and try to make it through and and function based on kind of scanning what it is that's all around us. And Noah went through this only holding on to the breed that had been promised him by God going into this place of fear. And that's sort of that that thin thread that this that connects it to the beginning part of the teaching, this idea that Noah's only hope and Noah's only trust could come from that breach relationship that he had with God. And while he was in there, he didn't have anything tangential necessarily to hold on to. So what I get from this is the following. It completely rewrites for me that moment of the skies parting and the bird flying off and coming back with an olive branch. It's, it's the return of a sunrise and a sunset. It's like the return of, of birds chirping again. It's the return of some sort of a, of a diurnal setting to the body. It's the being able to sleep without melatonin. It's just going back to normative routine and feeling like feeling like a self again and feeling like a human being again and feeling like you can survive because you can be alive but not really understand what's happening to your body and why you feel so very off kilter. I think many, many, many of us have had that experience before. So when you get to the Parsha next Shabbat morning, when you hear it this coming week in weekday services, I wish for you this vision of Noah emerging after this, understanding that the fulfillment of the promise from God isn't some sort of a blessing of magical gifts and heaps of gold or some sort of promise like we see promises fulfilled by, you know, molten gods in other religions. What's the promise fulfilled from God to Noah? It's just that when the the clouds part, he's back to sleeping again and he can eat again 
and the sun is going to rise again and the sun is going to set again and he's going to feel normal again. And that's my prayer too in this world. It's all I keep hoping for and it's all I pray for when I pray for this new month that's coming up in this coming week. Honestly, it's what I'm praying for in this world. I don't need enormous miracles to look more miraculous than feeling like I can function again and like the people around me can function again, like school kids can go to school, like we can have a vacation every once in a while, like people can go and visit their parents when they want to visit their parents and we can just go and walk about and go to a park and be. So that's my prayer and it's my hopefulness for Noah. It's this return to normalcy that God is is the establisher of a covenant of that oath and comes back and that we can feel it once again in that normalcy of our world. And that's where I am with Noah this year. And thanks for learning that with me and being with me in it. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.